Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Many of you know that over the summer I was on a three-month sabbatical after serving with all of you for seven years. And that experience still enriches and informs my life. I'm very grateful. And many of you have asked me about it. And the one, the pinnacle of my experience was a 30-day mostly silent retreat. And that seems to get the most questions from people who want to know more. Especially, how do you stay silent for 30 days? And I will tell you, that was the easy part. The rest of the waking hours, pretty much you are spent in prayer. And that is no small undertaking. Once a day we could meet with a spiritual director for up to an hour and get all of our talking out. And that was enough. The purpose of the retreat was to work through the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius Loyola. Some of you are familiar with that saint and have been schooled in the Jesuit order. He's the founder of the Jesuits. He lived 500 years ago. And after chasing the world's riches, honor, and glory and seeking to satisfy his many appetites for up to that point in his life, he sustained a major injury in battle. And while he was recovering from this injury for months and months and months in the house of a relative, there were only two books in the house and he could read. And these two books he read, one on the life of Christ, one on the life of Christian saints. And through that experience, he had a conversion. He had a spiritual awakening. And he realized that this way of Christ was something joyful and peaceful. And it led to his heart feeling good. And after he was able to walk again, he began a different kind of life. And he put down his sword. And up before that, he was a military man, um, rejoicing in in the military and in battle. And he put down his sword and set out on his Christian pilgrimage. And he kept having revelations from God about this path that Jesus taught. And he wrote this down for all of us. And this is the spiritual exercises. It's a 30-day journey of prayers using, in large part, our imagination, which God gave us, in order to imagine God's love and imagine ourselves in the very stories of the scripture the very life of Jesus as if we were first-hand witnesses and inviting God to show us something new through those stories. Their whole aim is to bring us to see God more clearly so that we can love God more dearly and follow God more nearly. When Ignatius came to this crossroads in his life of this conversion, he was faced with a choice. To continue in the ways of the world, seeking what the world offers of riches, honor, and therefore this pride that tells him he doesn't need anything or anyone, or to seek the way of God, the way of Christ. And he chose the latter and committed his life to that path. At one point on the 30-day retreat, the retreatants are given a prayer assignment by our spiritual director. 
And we too are faced with this same choice. Having in the previous days contemplated God's unending love for us and coming to know that love more deeply, the retreatant is given the choice between what St. Ignatius calls the two standards, meaning the ways of morals and ethics and behaviors, the standard of Satan on the one hand or of the worldly things, the standard of Christ on the other hand. And the origin of the word standard, if we go way back, it actually means flag. It referred to a flag fixed on a pole, stuck in the ground, as a rallying point for armies in battle. Literally, it means to stand fast. To stand fast with your leader and your fellow soldiers as you carry out your duty against your enemy. So here is what we were to contemplate with our imagination. Just like the stories we've read of good versus evil, we imagine two figures, Christ as our supreme leader and Lord on the one hand, and Satan or Lucifer, as Ignatian calls him, the enemy of our human nature on the other hand. So it was a dark and stormy night. And the chief of all the enemy of our human goodness living in the vast plain in Babylon, a city symbolizing opulence and excess and wickedness. Satan sits high on an enormous, smoky, fiery throne. Ignatius really wants us to feel this scene with our imagination. And around him, Satan has gathered innumerable worker demons, and he's scattered them throughout the world. Right there from his smoky throne, he instructs them to go out and lay traps for people by tempting them to seek the riches of the world so they can more easily attain the honors of the world and then at last come to the place where they believe they are the best, that they need no one, they certainly don't need God or God's love, for the world loves them after all. And from these three steps of gaining the world's riches, honor, and pride, Satan delights in then leading all of his subjects quite easily into all the other vices that many of us have tasted here in the world. So in the same way, we are then to imagine Christ our Lord, the one true commander-in-chief. It was a fresh and sunny morning in the region of Jerusalem, the holy city, And rather than on a high and mighty throne like Satan, Jesus is standing in a lowly place, a meadow of sorts. His appearance is beautiful and radiant. And around him in this lowly place, Christ has gathered so many persons, young and old, of every type, to be his disciples and servants and friends. And he sends them out to every corner of the world to share his message the message of God's love for all the world, for every single person, no matter their state or their condition. And he instructs his disciples to help everyone, to give themselves away in love for God and for others. And also, if God should choose it, that they should also accept literal poverty along with spiritual poverty, that they should not fear any suffering or humiliations, 
Because Jesus did not when he was arrested and he endured insults and contempt for his faithfulness to God's standard. And then all of these leads to the third step that Jesus' people were to seek humility versus pride. So we have imagined these two very different scenes. And then the choice is before us. And in the prayer time following that prayer time, we pray that God would give us the grace to be received under the flag of Jesus, to choose to live by the standard of the realm of God one day at a time. I did make that choice. And I assume my fellow retreatants did also because we can't proceed with the next 20 days unless we do. But in my experience, that huge choice is one that I am faced every single day and that I need God's help to say yes to every single day to keep under the flag and standard of Christ versus the flag and standard of the world which seems to be noisier than the good flag. In today's gospel lesson, I see the two standards, that of the world and that of God's realm, driving this dialogue between Jesus and his opponents. The Pharisees, the expert in Jewish law, experts in keeping it down to the letter, find their way of life distressingly challenged by this radical teacher named Jesus who's recently appeared in Jerusalem. And they're already scheming on how to get rid of him. At this point in the story of Matthew's gospel, things have become quite tense. Just a few days prior, Jesus came in to the city with his fans and crowds shouting hosannas and using messianic language for him. Great joy came in with him. As soon as he went into the temple, we remember he overturned the money changers' tables, causing a big ruckus. He said no to those people who were carrying on shifty business right there in God's house. And his actions both threatened the Roman occupiers in power and the religious leaders, the Jews in power, because they were enjoying life under the status quo of Rome. And Jesus was disturbing that. So today we find the Pharisees joining with these people called the Herodians, the Herodians, more or less, were, were in aligning with Rome. The Pharisees were over all the Jews, but enjoying benefits that most of the Jews were not as occupied and oppressed people. And with their cunning and syrupy flattery, they asked Jesus this question, whether it's lawful to pay the tax that funds this Roman occupation or not. If Jesus answered yes, they know, the crowds of his adoring fans will likely revolt. And if he answers no, Jesus would be accused of sedition by Rome. So they are sure they have him trapped. Well, Jesus, of course, sees right through the hypocrisy and calls them on it. And he says, show me the money used to pay the tax. They dig into their pockets and they produce a piece of this money, a coin. And Jesus says, tell me whose image is on it. The emperor's, they say. And Jesus replied, well, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, but give to God the things that are God's. 
What's curious to note here is that Jesus did not have this coin in his pocket. But the Pharisees did. And in that day of Roman rule, emperor worship was the law of the land. And on that coin, along with the face of the emperor, would also have been engraved words claiming the emperor's divinity as a called son of God to be worshipped. That coin clearly belongs to the emperor who produced it in the first place. For any Jew holding that coin, and right there in the temple, no less, the center of Jewish life and worship, Considering the first two of God's Ten Commandments given to the Jews by Moses, one, have no other gods before me, and two, do not make any idols, the Pharisees found themselves in a curious position standing before Jesus. Jesus evades their trap, and in that simple response, he challenges his opponents then, the first hearers of this gospel, And to all of us who hear it today, to consider, what are the things of God? I ask myself, what's in my pocket when I reflect on this passage? And I return to that meditation on the two standards. The standard I choose dictates how I live. It dictates how I spend my time and my talent and my money. It dictates what's in my pockets, both literally, and what lands in the pockets of my heart. If I've truly chosen to live under the standard of Christ, of God's realm, then the money in my own pocket will be used wisely and truthfully and generously. And if I have chosen Christ's standard, then yes, as a citizen of a nation with laws and taxes, I will pay taxes and obey laws unless they are unjust, unless they go against God's standard, unless they lead to the gain of some and the oppression of the many, then I am called to stand up to bring my voice out of my pockets in protest and claiming Christ and to work for change to help the good of the whole in God's realm. If I've truly chosen the standard of Christ, I will not be living by the world's standard that calls me every day to do what's best for me and me alone, to seek the riches, honor, and the pride that tells me I don't need you, I don't need God, that I got this. But every day I'm called to ask, what's in my pocket? Choosing the standard of Christ fills the pockets of our hearts with God's truth. And what's true at the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, during the creation story, we hear God say, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. And in the image of God, we were created. So friends, we are God image bearers. And this tells us what belongs to God. Like the coin-bearing Caesar's image belongs to Caesar, we who bear God's image belong to God. So what are we to give? Our whole selves. 
Last week at the Tom York Lecture Series, right here, some of you heard Rachel Macy Stafford give a talk about godly living. And what I took away was her charge to protect at least 10 minutes of every day to be quiet and still, to be with God. So that the clamors of the world and the world's standards quiet, that we might hear truly what Christ calls us to. And through all the strivings and yearnings and everything the world would have us be and do and look like, in that 10 minutes or more or less, the standard of Christ can enter in and the message she gets every time is only love today. Only love today. No matter what we hear or feel or worry about, that is God's message to us. And because we are God image bearers, we are imprinted with God's love, body, mind, and spirit. Christian Christ follower, author, humorist Anne Lamott writes about when she was a struggling artist and author, trying to make ends meet, a single mom raising her son Sam. She said whenever they felt poor, she would take Sam and go to the ATM, withdraw $200 and put it in their pockets, and they would not return home until that money was gone. And they would take that money out of their pockets and put it into other people's pockets. Some who probably didn't even know, some who were very needy and maybe were asking. Whoever God led them to, they would give. And they came home feeling not so poor, like the eyes of the world would have them believe. But in the eyes of God, they saw the riches of their journey together as God's beloved. That is the Christ standard, which informs not only what goes in my pockets, but how it is spent and given and delivered back into the world. So I pause and ask, what do people see when they see me? Do they see the standard of the world first or the standard of Christ? And all of us here as the body of Christ, the church, what does the world see when they see this particular body called Knox? This is what I see. I see our third graders saying yes to learning about the Bible and receiving it and promising to read it. I see all of you here on Sundays bringing yourselves and your kids together to learn more about God's love. I see men who gathered yesterday at Third Church for the monthly men's breakfast to cook for each other and eat together and guide young men who are struggling to find a path to understand the standard of Christ. I see those who will gather this afternoon with the Ali family, our new friends from Somalia who arrived here as refugees in the springtime with nothing, knowing not a word of English or how life works here. People who go there every Sunday to befriend them and teach them and love them. I see our annual mission possible and all of you gathering together on a morning to love and serve in Christ's name. I see a church built in Uganda with the money from your pockets to help kids over there go to school where before they could not because there wasn't one. I see our youth group and adults last Sunday who gathered downtown to walk 
to prevent and bring awareness to suicide, gathering with so many who have been touched by that in their lives, comforting one another as we walked. I see your money from your hearts and your pockets for Campaign for Tomorrow, enhancing the spaces of this house of God so that we can worship and learn better and the community, many of whom gather in recovery groups, can also learn more of what it means to live in the freedom of the standard of God's realm. I see our young people here with adults making sandwiches for the hungry. I see so many of you committed to loving and serving in ways big and small and to reaching out to one another as your church family to celebrate your joys together and to walk alongside those who are hurting in ways you too have experienced. So what's in our pockets today? And what standard will we choose? Remember, friends, we bear the image of Christ. As the prophet Isaiah also reminds us and promises that God's hand bears the image of us. We are held and we are called to and equipped to go out into the world with this image of love. Loving only today and again called to repeat. This is our good news today. May we go together in love. Amen.